I keep it Stormageddon Dark Lord of All. Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 83. With me, as always, Brian Prilliman. Hello, interwebs. Now, you may notice I normally introduce Jess first, and he wasn't here. Uh, Jess is unable to join us this episode. But He's we... been toppled in Mortal Kombat, and I have assumed the second spot in the introductions. Or actually, the first, because you don't introduce yourself all the time. I don't. I forget a lot. No. <laughs> I'm CJ Schrader. This is probably why people are like, they like they know Brian exists. But then there's also the Jess CJ conglomerate, and they're not really sure which is which. <laughs> the conglomerate, like your corporation. Yeah, it happens a lot. Like, they're like, either Jess or CJ said this. But if it's a story about, like, World War II, they know Brian said it. Yes. 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 All right. <laughs> yes. But if we want to hear stories about what goes on at those crazy Harvard fraternity uh, parties, <laughs> we would talk to our guest. Hello, uh, I am today's special guest. My name is Paul Baronet, but you can call me Bears if you would like. And I do not go to Harvard, thanks B-Pril. Uh I actually go to Yale, and I am a level two judge from Connecticut. Awesome. So what? how cold is it up there right now? It is actually sunny, if it weren't night out. I was going to say. Ignoring, <laughs> ignoring, ignoring that part. It was, was sunny the rest of the day. Time zones is way off. <laughs> yeah. Just a second. I, I wish it were still sunny, because then it would be sunny out instead of pitch black. But it was sunny today, but still incredibly cold. Uh, I don't know if it was actually sub-zero or not, but it was definitely around there. Have have by by getting up there to like Massachusetts, have we gone so uh, uh have we gone so far or Connecticut? Have we gone so far north that you guys start using uh, uh Celsius instead of Fahrenheit? No, uh, not not us. Is, is that a, is that a thing? I don't know. Like Canada does it, yeah. right? Well, and you know, that, Canada because you have been on Judge Cast North. You said it. It's got the Canada. It's just all Canada. Once you go Canada, you never go back, or something like that. Yes. I would never go back to Canada, correct? Uh, oh. Oh, no. I've never been to Canada. I don't know what I'm talking also, about. <laughs> they, do, they do have GPs in Canada, so. You know, in the old iteration of the show, it used to be kind of a thing they did to just make every country mad at them. I don't know, maybe other, <laughs> maybe other people weren't fans of the show like I used to be. Whatever. All right, let's jump into our main topic. Let's let's, let's cut right to yeah, it. Let's what cut is, right our, to what it is our main topic, CJ? Please tell us. Tournament Shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, Brian was apparently appalled that we had never done this episode. I was. I was answering a question for a listener, and I was just like, "Here's a here, here's the answer to your question. It's using a tournament shortcut. For more information on the tournament shortcut, please go see JudgeCast episode." And then I was like, "Oh, I got to go look up the number." And I started flipping through the numbers, and I was like, "Wait a second, we don't have one. <laughs> this is a travesty and must be fixed." So not only did I notice that, CJ, but um, we are two episodes away from fifty. 50 episodes. The big five zero. Uh, 50 episodes of this reign of terror. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, it is, which seeing as how we do one every uh, every two weeks, that's two years, really. Okay. It's like an anniversary or something. Yeah. Like a party. Maybe we should do something special. You should do, you should do something special. Yeah. I like chocolates. Oh, so you're saying that the special thing should be other people getting you gifts. Well, yes. We are. That's how that, that's how that's <laughs> right? Because it's going to be right around Valentine's Day, right? Uh, and we give a gift true. to the listeners every two weeks. Like, yeah. Hey, okay, main topic, tournament shortcuts. <laughs> tournament shortcuts. Thank you for keeping us on track, CJ. So that is, that's why we keep them around. Before we get started, I, I want to mention that um, tournament shortcuts are list. This is a part of the Magic Tournament rules, and that means that it applies to both regular and competitive and professional. REL. That's it. I think sometimes we we are a little too. We don't mention. I think that's that I think that's important to point yeah. out. Um, so uh, so what is so what is a shortcut? Bolt your jade. It's a path that takes you from one place to another faster than another route. Oh, so it's like a warp pipe in Mario. Yes. Exactly. I actually, I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so a, uh, a shortcut, uh, as defined in the, in the MTR is, uh, well, is actions taken by players that skip parts of technical play sequence without explicitly announcing them. Okay. Um, so basically, it's if you're going to do a loop or something like that, you're going to perform an action several times. Uh, you demonstrate that it's done once and you say, OK, I'm going to do this 10 times. 
and you don't have to sit there and do it, you know, physically do the thing 10 times. You can just show it one time, say, I'm going to do this 10 times and tap all the mana that it takes to do it the 10 times and poof, you're there. You're suddenly at the end of the shortcut. Um, Yep. So that is an example of a shortcut. Uh, One of the characteristics of a shortcut, though, is that um, when you get to the at the end of the shortcut, you must be at a clear uh, you, you must be clear as to where the game is going to end up when you're done with the shortcut. Okay, this is this is the big reason why you can't shortcut through things like the Four Horsemen deck, because saying I'm going to do this loop however many times it takes till I get to this state um, isn't really clear, because since you can't say how many times it's going to take you to get there. Right. And just for people who may not be familiar, the Four Horsemen deck uh, infamously uses Basalt Monolith, I believe, to generate uh, a lot of a lot of triggers uh, and put your graveyard, uh, put your library to the graveyard, which flips over things like Narcomoeba, but also Emrakul. And Emrakul, of course, shuffles your entire graveyard back into your library. And so because of that, you can't actually ever say exactly what is going to be in the graveyard at the time that you uh, have it looking the way you want, which is with a bunch of Dark Amoebas on the battlefield and Dread Return, I believe, in the graveyard. Yeah. So, so be- because of that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We, we, keep, we keep getting, uh, you know, we get emails every so often asking about how, you know, it's like, why can't I play Four, four Horsemen? And we keep threatening to do a Loops podcast, nope. uh, but CJ keeps, yeah, <laughs> CJ keeps saying no. Um, but CJ always the always the voice of reason. It is. It's like let's do a loops podcast, and CJ's like, no. Well, when it was banding, I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll <laughs> so do banding, just, but we don't. I just want you, yeah, I just want you guys to see the hierarchy of where loops is for me versus banding. <laughs> I was bands fighting with, for banding. We've spent we've spent we spent five minutes on bands with other zero minutes on loops. You never know when those wacky chaos drafts are going to have a banding card. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so any player, so any player can propose a shortcut. Okay. Um, so like I said, you can just demonstrate like, Hey, I've got this loop. I'm going to do this so many times. Um, like I'm going to, oh, say I've got Malira out and Malira, uh, has creature, uh, says that creatures can't get minus, have minus one, minus one counters placed on them. And you've got your Viscera Seer, which lets you sacrifice a creature to scry. And you say, well, I'm going to sacrifice my Kitchen Finks 20 times, gain 10 life, scrying as I, scrying all the way. Okay, that's an example of, uh, and then what you would do is you would just demonstrate that one time. Okay, since it doesn't take any mana, you would just write down, you know, I'm sacking my uh, uh, Kitchen Finks uh, 20 times. Uh, Kitchen Finks has a persist, so when it goes to the graveyard, persist triggers, it comes back with a minus one, minus one counter. Because Malira's out there, it doesn't get the minus one, minus one counter, so you can keep sacrificing it. And every time it comes into play, you gain two life. So you say, and Viscerous here lets you scry one. So you can, you just sit there and you go, okay, I'm going to sack my, my Kitchen Finks 20 times. That means I gain 40 life. I'm going to get to look at the top, you know, 20 cards in my library. You say, like, I'm going to do this 20 times. Okay, that's yep. a loop. Um, now, any player, either player, can actually interrupt that shortcut or interrupt that, yeah, interrupt that shortcut and say, uh, well, if while I'm scrying, I hit a murderous red cap, which is a, a similar card uh, to um, to Kitchen Finks, and that it's got a, a persist. Only instead of gaining two life when it enters the battlefield, you get to you get to ping something for its uh, ping something in damage for its power. Much better to kill somebody than just much, gain all the life. Much better. So you can say like, "Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to shortcut these twenty actions." Okay. Um, however, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, end it early yeah okay so you're proposing an end point an early exit to your shortcut uh, your opponent can also interrupt the shortcut and just say ah, i'm gonna sudden shock your malira <laughs> and just be done with all that silliness sudden shock is a, a is a basically a uh, a shock with uh split seconds so you can't respond to it so that's an example mm-hmm. of either player being able to interrupt the shortcut at any time um, now, in tournament play, we have a series of established shortcuts, and that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today, because the shortcuts that you players can come up with your own are infinitely wonderful and infinitely infinite. Very profound. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not a Harvard grad like some people are. <laughs> Glad I pay you the big bucks. Yes.
Okay. A little bit. So I want to. Okay. I want to talk about the first shortcut, but then I want to talk a little bit about why we have the the defined tournament shortcuts. Because I, you know, I, I totally understand, you know, why we have the loops going on. I can propose a shortcut. That's fine. But so the very first tournament shortcut we have is is if you say something like go or done or uh, your move, your turn, uh, yeah. anything like that. Uh, that what that means when I say that means I'm passing priority until you have priority at the beginning. Uh, of the end step yep. basically you're saying i'm not doing anything else's turn it's on you buddy so so one of the one of the one of the key things about about shortcuts is they actually allow people to play the game smoothly um we had uh, 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 J- uh james bennett on one time and he talked about how he was playing a technically perfect game of magic with every priority pass right and how completely miserable that was Okay. One of the things like a new L1 or an L0 starting to be an L1 uh, might be asked is, you know, like how many steps and phases are there? Well, when you go through them, there's an awful lot. That's an awful lot of priority passes in there. Okay. So if you don't want to do anything during those phases, like wouldn't it be great to just kind of skip through a bunch of them? Yes. And so that's what that's the, the purpose of the shortcut is, is to make it play like the way people expect and want to while reducing ambiguity and and rules lawyering as we'll get into uh in a bit yes magic would be miserable if you had to talk about every priority pass i mean even even mtgo lets you skip most priority passes right exactly i don't know about most but a lot of priority passes okay so are we still talking about the uh the end of turn shortcut sure if you have anything else to say about it so well, so well, I, I, well, I think one thing that's interesting about it is that there was recently a question about uh, creatures or other cards that have abilities that trigger at the end of your turn and how those interact with, with the shortcut. So like, if you say something like your turn when you have an Obsidot Ghost Council on the battlefield, but don't actually say, point out anything about the trigger, is that a missed trigger or is there something else going on? I thought that was a really interesting discussion that was on, on Judge Apps and a few other places. Okay, so enlighten us. <laughs> well, uh, and the 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 ruling that kind of came down, uh, I think, just taking the documents and figuring out what the mistrigger policy says about this. If I just say end turn, I haven't made any indication that Ghost Council is supposed to blink out of the battlefield. So if I don't say anything, I've missed the trigger. I've passed priority to you implicitly by using the shortcut. So in some ways, you can basically interpret the shortcut from the MTR as also saying you're passing priority with an empty stack. Yeah. Now, now, if the person says go obsidat or something along those lines, then they're acknowledging their trigger. Exactly. Like um, go, go obsidat. The order doesn't matter. Just saying something about the ghost. Right. Answer. Or poking it if that's the way you've established previously in the in in the in the game. Uh, so again, whenever you have one of these 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 types of issues, you know, talk to the players, figure out what was going on, uh, and apply the policies as as stated. Um, however, one of the things that this policy is supposed to do is uh, also if the opponent acts, when is he acting? Because the next part of it is that the opponents are assumed to be acting during the end step. So right, you exactly. don't have one of these things where it's like I draw my card, I lay a land. I say go. My opponent then taps out to play some instant spell. Okay, and I go, oh, well, you didn't say when you were doing that, so clearly you must have done that at the first opportunity, which is my main phase. So now that you're all tapped out, I can play my hasty creature and attack you. Right. No. Yeah. No. Thanks. No. Now, if the opponent really, really wants to cast something during your main phase, then it's on them to specify. Okay, so if they don't specify, uh, they're at the end step, and you know, don't try to get them to be like, oh, well, when are you casting that? Are you, you're casting that at the earliest opportunity, right? We're not going to let you play word games to try mm-hmm. and trick your opponent into saying something that could be interpreted as them doing it earlier than when the shortcut said. Right. All right. What's the next shortcut? Uh, the want- next shortcut. The the next shortcut is uh, about combat. What? Combat's pretty important, so it makes sense to have a shortcut about it. Uh, and the the established shortcut is saying something like combat or declare attackers as as a question, and that impl- that says that I'm passing priority until my opponent has priority in the beginning of the combat step, which is right before I would declare attackers. Yes. So this this one is actually probably the hardest one to get your head around. Yeah. Um. Ma- mainly because what it's what it's there to prevent is um let's say uh 
let's say you've got you've got a man land out mm-hmm. and you want to know if your opponent has a like a combat trick that they might want to cast before they right before you attack. Uh, this was really big with cryptic command. OK, people would say, you know, if, if you look at it from a, a, a standpoint of someone might want to try and tease out the cryptic command before they can respond uh, or, or tease out a cryptic command uh, and then animate. Uh, uh, hold on, I'm creeping target. I am misremembering this scenario. Give me a second. Talk about. Give me a second to remember. Sure. Well, one other scenario where I've encountered this comes up in modern. Um, the the infect deck not only plays manlands, but it also plays might of old Krosa, which gives which is an instant. It's a giant growth variant. It gives plus two plus two normally, but if you cast it during your own main phase, it gives a target creature plus four plus four instead. And say that I'm playing infect and CJ is playing some kind of burn deck. I have the 1-1 one, one Infect Elf, Glistener Elf, and I say Declare Attackers. And if CJ just goes, Shock Your Elf, uh, or something, or Dismember Your Elf, it's assumed that he's acting in the combat phase. So my, motiv- my, my, my Mighty Bolt Krosa is not as good as I would want it to be in that scenario. Or, um, okay, so with the, with the Creeping Tar Pits or whatever, and you suspect your opponent has a, uh, a, a Cryptic Command. Okay, so you say at- Attacks... And they go, okay, then suddenly the desire was, okay, well, now I want to animate, now that I know that you can't tap down all my dudes, now right. I want to uh, uh, animate my, my creeping tar pit uh, and attack with it. No, you can't anymore because you passed priority. They said, okay, you've now moved on to the uh, uh, to the declare attacker step. So yeah. if, you, if you want to attack with your creeping tar pit, okay, but you're uncertain as to whether or not they have a cryptic command, you can either animate your creeping tar pit before, okay, or uh, uh, just run the risk when you say, hey, combat, and then they, uh, or, and I say run the risk, say combat, and hope they cryptic command your, uh, tap down all your sides, and then you, <laughs> then you can respond, uh, and, uh, you know, then after that you can animate your creeping tar pit and attack. Uh, yeah, a little risky. Yeah, so this is, this is also one of the weird ones because people are always like, well, well, how can I trick my opponent? into into doing something like what are the magic words i have to say yeah Uh, and the answer is no there aren't there are no magic words no even even things like uh there there have been judges that said that even even things as strong as you know i want to i would like to move to the beginning of combat step which is what the steps call which is what the beginning of combat steps called but it's like why why are you doing that there's nothing you as the active player you're the one that controls the turn there's nothing you can do in that step that you couldn't have done in your main phase other than try to confuse your opponent as to where they are to get them to, to get to tease out a spell yeah i think i think that's another important part of the turn of shirk of philosophy that we may not have mentioned earlier which is that as the active player i'm the one that's really in the driver's seat for that turn i'm the one that's you know, say going untap, upkeep, draw, the one that's doing stuff in my main phase. I'm the one that's like exactly like you said, directing the flow of the turn. So it's kind of puts a bit of a burden on me to be a little clear if I want things to go a certain way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and like I said, this this tournament this tournament shortcut is the one that gets gets people the more or is the hardest to get your head around. Uh, because people want to figure out a way to abuse it and want to figure out a way to get around it. In reality, it's just just play magic. Let's not play word game the gathering. Sounds good. I like it. I like when magic is actually about the cards instead of about, about word games. All right. So CJ, what's the next uh what's the next shortcut? What is this? Baron is trying to tell me today. to talk more on my own show. I talk more hey. I talk plenty when it's email time. When it's thinking time, that's what you guys uh, talk. I talk okay. more before seven AM than other podcast hosts talk all day. I do I do read. I read things. That's my job right. on this podcast. He's, re- he's reading Cat Fancy magazine. And then I edit later. Be Pearl and I will have a conversation about tournament shortcuts with just the two of us then. Yes. <laughs> this is why we needed a third. This That's is why, why we, we need a third. Yeah. This is Aww. why we have three hosts. 
Okay. All right. So the next the next shortcut is kind of interesting uh, because everybody plays like this, and I don't think they realize it's a shortcut. I'm, I'm going to start with half of it, but basically, whenever a player adds an object to the stack, it's assumed that they are passing priority unless they explicitly announce that they are retaining it. Um, there's another part of the shortcut, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, so whenever you actually add something to the stack, so let's say you cast a spell, uh, when you're finished casting the spell, the magic tournament or the magic rules, the comprehensive rules, actually say that you get priority back to do something else yes however the vast majority of the time you do not need that priority and the game would be very annoying if you had to sit here and say uh cast lightning bolt targeting your guy pass priority every single time so there's a tournament shortcut that says never mind you uh you're assumed to be passing priority and giving it to your opponent unless you specifically say so so say you want to you know reverberate your own spell copy your own spell you need to explicitly state hey you know lightning bolt targeting your six six maintaining priority reverberate targeting lightning bolt yes good old like you yes love it because if you don't if you go lightning bolt and your opponent's and you look at your opponent he goes okay it's now too late to reverberate your lightning bolt right. because it's going to resolve and you don't because get... you've both passed in priority and even though the pa- priority passed from you the active player was due to the shortcut it's still a priority pass so yeah you that don't get to know if they're going to respond to lightning bolt you don't get that yep. information now if you do lightning bolt their six six and wait and stare at them and they i don't know try to counter your lightning bolt then you do get priority again and you can respond but once again that's a very risky move mm-hmm. yep. so, uh, but there's more to this shortcut yes. isn't there so if you add a group of objects to the stack without explicitly retaining priority and a player wishes to take an action at a point in the middle the actions should be reversed up to that point so say i have a guy what's with, an example of that yeah i have a guy with fire breathing and uh you know i attack you and i just tap six red mana and i'm like you know he gets plus six plus zero well that's not true in reality he gets plus one plus zero six times and that has to go on the stack and resolve every time right I, I, 12 priority passes which is just huge so i like i like using shades as an example because they they pump toughness as well yeah that's a good one and and someone might like uh, hey, I'm going to pump my shade. Uh, shades have the ability uh, for black. They get uh, plus one, plus one until end of turn. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, one and one and a black to give them plus one, plus one. And so you say, like, I'm going to pump my shade eight times. And the opponent's like, okay, uh, you know, before the third one resolves, I'm going to bolt your your dude and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to kill it. Yep. Okay. Well, what happened was it's not all eight of those activations are on the stack. Yeah. Okay. It's two, you know, that's it's one, then the next, then the next, then the next, and each resolves individually. So when you're bolting it after the second one's resolved, uh, after the second one resolved, well, there's you're actually interrupting that shortcut. And as we said earlier, if you interrupt the shortcut, we don't make you do the rest of it. Right. Yep. Which ind- indirectly makes shades really hard to kill, depending on how much mana your opponent has available and how much damage you can throw at it. Because if Beepril has a shade that starts off as a plus as a one one and has like eight mana available, and all I have is a lightning bolt, you know, there, there's there's actually no way for me to kill yeah. kill his shade with that lightning bolt. So so here's when I was getting back into playing uh, uh, like pre-releases and stuff like that, uh, not like casual, but but like you know friendly games in a in a tournament setting. Mm. Is it a pre-release? I think it was. I want to say it was Zendikar. And I go to attack my opponent, uh, and he goes, no blocks, and I go, you know, pump my shade. There was a shade in the set. I go, pump my shade five times. And he looks at me, and he goes, you don't want to do it that way. <laughs> and I and I looked at him, and I was like, uh, what? Oh, okay, you're being a nice guy. I was like, pump it once, let it resolve. And he's like, and he's like nodding like, yeah, that's the right way of doing it. I'm like, pump it again, let it resolve. Pump it again, and let it resolve. <laughs> And so, I mean, basically, he was being a nice guy by making me not take advantage of the shortcut. But I, mean, I guess I guess he didn't know about it. I didn't know about it at the time. Exactly. But it was just kind of it amuses me at this point that he was helping. Like I did it right, and he's helping me out, going like, "No, no, no, you don't want to do it that way. That's bad." Yeah. Yeah, we want to we want to speed up the game because ninety five percent of the time, or whatever, I'm just making the number up. But most of the time, your opponent's not gonna have a response to your fire breathing or your shade or whatever. So you you may as well just do all of them at once. Yeah, and and why is this? If if casting a single spell, I'm automatically passing priority, but adding multiples. I'm I'm keeping priority now. Suddenly we've got we've got something that's behaving differently based on on how I'm doing it. So it, so it keeps it consistent this way as well. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds yep. yeah. 
The next one is pretty simple because it's basically like the other ones we already said. But if you say something like no attacks or I'm not attacking or some variation of those words, uh, you're (laughs) passing priority until an opponent has priority in the end of combat step. I'm not sure what on earth they want to do in the end of combat step if you didn't attack. But hey, it's it's again, it's it's like the the go statement where, you know, you go, I got nothing, no attacks. And then the opponent goes, "Okay, well, I'm going to cast this this instant spell. You go, oh, great. We're still in my main phase. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to equip this creature and attack you now. No, (laughs) nope, nope. Not the way it works. Next. The next shortcut is about one of my favorite things, uh, X spells. Fireball, yay. Well, Clan Defiance, man. Get, oh, get standard. Sorry. Come on. Get standard. Red, red Green Devotion is a very fun deck, I have to say. <laughs> I'm sure it exists. You know what else is fun? Rule Smash. Fireball. Yes. I like uh, Fireball a lot. It has additional costs. It has X. It has Fireball is so confusing. It has <laughs> dividing damage, but not actually dividing damage. Oh, it's the best spell it's ever. Been around, and it's been around for forever. It's ubiquitous. It briefly had Y in its mana cost. I, I do like the versions that have Y in the mana cost. <laughs> anyway, what's the shortcut? Well, the, sh- the shortcut is really simple because this is how players play naturally all the time. And the shortcut is if I'm casting a spell or activating something that has an X in the mana cost, and I don't explicitly say what the value of X is. Say that I just, you know, I've Nykthosed for a bunch of mana, and I tap my Nykthos and a bunch of my Stomping Grounds, and I just say, Clan Defiance you. We figure out how much mana is in my mana pool, and it's assumed that I've cast the Clan Defiance with an X equal for as much as I can. All of the mana available in my pool. This uh, this prevents you from doing a shenanigan like, you know, Clan oh, Defiance hey. you, and then you mana leak, and I'm like, haha, I left three mana open, or something. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, you also got the rule that says... You have to announce, announce right, you announce. So this this is more one of the rules that allows people to skip a step, um, such as announcing X, you know, assuming the value of X, uh, as as opposed to trying to skip out on shenanigans, you know, trying to prevent shenanigans. Open the door for shenanigans, exactly. Right. I mean, it's got it's got some stuff, but normally it's just like, well, I tap ten mana and I'm gonna fire, I'm gonna clan defiance you for eight. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, and it just tap all my stuff, clan defiance you. You know, that's that is again, that's you're skipping something legal. That's just the way people play. Yep, definitely. Um, Move, moving the game along. Yeah. Now the next one, the next one is a fun one. I like this one. Yeah, me too. Um, so this one is if a player casts a spell or, or activates an ability um, and announces and announces choices for it that are not normally made until resolution. The player must adhere to those choices unless an opponent responds to this ability. So I'm going so to stop right there because there's, there's two parts to this. Yep. So if I cast, I, I guess like the, the poster boy for this is Persecute, right? Persecute is uh, uh, when it resolves, choose a color. I'm doing this from memory. Uh, target player, target opponent reveals his or her hand and discards all cards of that color. Mm-hmm. Why okay. isn't this God's willing? I, I was going to say God's willing. God's willing. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Look up God's willing does. Oh my god. God's, God's willing is a Theros combat trick that gives a target creature protection from a color of your choice. Yes. And you also get a scry. Yes, no one gets that part though. Yeah. All right, so I, li- this, I like to describe. So anyway, I, gonna, I, tar- I target I target my dude with God's willing instead of persecute. Oh, gotta, I'm trying to be all hipster and use like you know old cards because they're cool and stuff. Um, I was using persecute before it was cool. Um, <laughs> when was it cool? So that's why Beeper was using it. Yeah, so I say, I say, I'm gonna God's willing my dude uh, for blue. Okay. Yep. Well, if I don't, if my opponent says okay, then I suddenly can't say, you know, ha! I now choose a color on resolution. I'm gonna name red. You thought it was dumb because you're playing a uh, uh, you're playing a mono red deck, so I named it for blue. It's big old <laughs> giant fake out. Now my pro red guy's gonna get in there. Ha! No. Yeah. No. no, it's it's if you if you make it if you cast a spell and make it and announce a choice that's normally made on resolution, you're held to that unless your opponent responds. Okay, so it's like 
um, you know, so you'd say, I'm going to God's willing uh, my dude for blue. And then they say, like, OK, well, in response, I'm going to you know, cast some blue spe- blue spell on it that that does something to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can then change my choice from blue to red or green or whatever. Right. Uh, normally, normally, the reason why I like using persecute is, you know, it's like I'm afraid that the person's going to got like, a uh, you know, if I go persecute you naming blue. And they go, okay, I'm going to cast this, you know, blue card. This blue card, yeah. blue card really quick. I can say, like, ha, now that you did something, I'm going to change it and name red because you're playing a blue-red deck. You're right. That is a good example. Um, yeah, you're right. Also, yeah, that's why I like Persecute. Okay. Sure. All right. Beefville was right. You it's also wrong. clone, right? I'm going to clone that guy. I'm going to clone that dude right there. If mm-hmm. your opponent says yes, you know, I'm going to clone your, your bear's cub. Huh? I'm going to clone... Uh-huh. I'm going to clone your bear's cub. And if your opponent says, okay, it responds, then I'm going to, my clone's going to come in as a bear's cub. But if my opponent sacrifices my bear's cub, uh, sacrifices his bear's cub, um, I get to now pick something different because I can't choose that bear anymore. Because it's in the graveyard and dead. Because it's mm-hmm. gone. So I'm going to pick the rune claw bear. Oh, nice. <laughs> I see what you did I there. mean, it's not strictly better, but it's. I know it's close. I mean, is you can consider art when you're determining strictly better, right? I think so. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's, it's a tiebreaker. <laughs> okay, so so there's more to this shortcut, though, isn't there? Yes. Well, but before before we get into the more, there's one one clarification I just wanted to add real fast. Uh, the shortcut is disrupted no matter what the opponent does. Like even if it's something totally irrelevant to the spell you're actually casting. Uh, it doesn't matter. You still get to make a new choice. Yeah, I think if you a good point. Right. If, if, we don't. We don't want judges trying to figure out if, if you know, how relevant or if this, if the break in the shortcut was relevant enough. Exactly. So it's just, it's just any break. Yep. All right. Sorry. Just wanted to get in, get in there with that. Okay. So there's, there's more to this shortcut. Do you want me to talk about it? I can talk about it. Okay. Uh, I, I like this part of the shortcut because it basically flips the shortcut around and it says, suppose that I'm, I'm playing Persecute and I just cast Persecute, lay on the table, don't say anything about the color I'm choosing. If my opponent asks me what color I'm choosing, the shortcut says that that player, my opponent, is implicitly passing priority and letting that spell resolve. And basically what this shortcut does, it's, it protects me from giving away pr- information prematurely in response to my opponent. They can't do something like, I say persecute, they say, okay, naming what color. If I say blue, that spell is resolving. They don't get to then have that information. Oh, well, now I want to counterspell it since you're naming blue. Exactly. Yeah, no. Yeah, so this shortcut basically kind of works both ways. It keeps both players, both players honest in a sense. So, I don't know if I want to bring this up, but I will. So, Oblivion Ring. Yeah, Oblivion Ring, right? Oh, Oblivion Ring. Yeah. Do we say Oblivion Ring falls into the spirit of this rule? Because it's, it's you know, Oblivion Ring, for maybe people who haven't read it too closely, we, we treat it like it's an aura and it just kind of targets something. But that's not the truth. It's an enchantment that comes into play and has a trigger and the trigger targets something. But if I just say, you know, Oblivion Ring, you're Emrakul, mm-hmm. am I going to be held to that decision? So in the past, I, I have ruled it that it's treated the same way. Uh it, it, to me, it sometimes depends on what's actually happening at the table. Um, it, it really gets into awkward situations when you cast Oblivion Ring and try to target your opponent's guy's state Traft, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that gets really sticky because you're proposing something that you can't legally do, but which is putting the Oblivion Ring ability onto the stack. But you can legally cast Oblivion Ring. Right. Brian, did you have any opinions on this? It's a little bit of an awkward subject. That's why I was hesitant to bring it up, but whatever. Well, no, I mean, it's good. This is a, I think it's a pretty realistic yeah. uh, oh. scenario to encounter Sorry. in the, in, in the <laughs> wild. Hey, I was on mute. Oh. Ah, that uh, it's got to happen to one of us. Serious, yeah, it's got to happen. It's got to it's got to happen. So, it's if you're casting if you're casting Oblivion Ring and uh probably need to go look up what the what the official word on this is because I think it's I think it's in the forum somewhere. Um I do recall a thread about this kind of recently. Yeah, I don't think I think it got locked waiting for an official answer though and that hasn't come back yet. Okay. All right. Okay. So, we'll probably best to wait until we get that and sure. then we'll we'll provide that information here okay cool great so i think that's yeah okay so that's everything for choices uh, yeah. 
I agree. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the next one, and this one, this one's kind of weird. Uh, deceptively it, simple. <laughs> it is deceptively simple, but uh, so this past weekend I had to give a presentation, or we had a we had a conference, and hey hey, I turned with shortcuts. Oh, and I was able to. I I came up with a a fun little fun little uh situation involving this one and killing wave i like killing wave and i i i say i came up with with the scenario i actually uh was asked was talking to some people on irc and uh they were help, they helped me out uh so killing wave is x and black for each creature its controller sacrifices it unless he or she pays x life yep so so we've got a scenario where like i've got three blood artists and my opponent, uh, CJ, has uh, three Bears Cubs. Yes. I'm winning that one. Yes. Always and the Bears Cubs. Always the Bears Cubs. And I cast Killing Wave. Uh, I, I tap a single black mana and cast Killing Wave using my other shortcut saying that X is equal to zero. <laughs> um, killing Wave with a single black. Uh, I then scoop up all of my dudes, my my blood artists, and put them in the, you know, I ask, does it resolve? Goes, yes. I scoop up all my guys and put them in the graveyard and then say, okay, uh, take 18. I gain 18. And the opponent's like, what do you mean? And it's like, well, your, your bears are dead. Uh, because you didn't uh, announce that you were paying the the cost, right? And he's like paying the cost of zero life. Yes, you didn't announce that you were paying the cost, so we do the default action, which means you have to sacrifice those those bears. And that the opponent's going to be like, ah, no, no. <laughs> Your opponent is going to be like, put, put the hand in the air and yell for a judge. Most likely. Hopefully. So the the tournament shortcut is a player is assumed to have paid any cost of zero unless he or she announces otherwise. So zero mana, zero life, zero cookies. 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 I, I want. I want the card that lets me pay. pay next, cookies. Next unset. It's fine. Okay. All right. You may. You may pay uh, three cookies. That actually would be a really awesome card. Sounds delicious. You sacrifice your creature unless you give, uh, uh, unless you give uh, the spells controller uh, a giant soft batch chocolate chip cookie. So, it sounds like the Annie rules, but reworked to be a little more delicious. We we could have a card called Delicious Attorney instead of Demonic yeah. Attorney. Oh, look there at that! Go. Harvard we've got, we've got, we've, we've, got, we've got a design. Ship it. This feels like the start of a new contest. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not yet. All right. Okay. So how was the how was the rest of that conference, Speedbro? Uh, it was good. It what? was really good. What is this? What? I'm sorry. I'm I'm just curious, <laughs> trying to make conversation. We can we can, we can <laughs> banter afterwards. It would have been All it right. was great because CJ wasn't there. I was not. I uh, was busy um, for judging a PTQ that was much larger than we expected. Yeah, he had. A, they were expecting like a hundred people and like hundred maybe. Uh, 180 showed up, so they had three judges. Yeah, we had a hundred. We had seating for 176, and so naturally we had 178 because of some entry issues. But yeah, they had, we had to cap the issue, cap the tournament, and everything. Wow! All right, that was cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, the next shortcut didn't didn't used to exist because it talks about planeswalkers. Uh, no, there's. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm skip. I skipped one. I skipped one. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> they Just must one. be in order. It's very important. They must be in order. All right, I'm <laughs> gonna go out of order. I'm gonna talk about the planeswalker shortcut. Oh no! But now we have to talk about both planeswalker shortcuts. Then. All right, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. The, the... <laughs> I, I'm I'm in charge now. Okay. No. Go for it. All right. Crack that whip. Yeah. The first Planeswalker shortcut uh, says that if I am declaring my attackers and Bpril controls a couple of Planeswalkers, and if I don't say anything when I declare my attackers, it's assumed that I'm attacking Bpril directly, that I'm not attacking any of his Planeswalkers. So you're not attacking his Jace Barrelin? Ah, very good. Uh, no. Why would I ever attack Jace Barrelin? Yeah, it's just too adorable. So bad move. Yeah. So I get this is basically the it's one of the shortcuts that avoids the gotcha moment of oh you blocked my you you didn't block my bear's cub because you thought it wasn't attacking your jace that was at two loyalty ha I'm actually attacking your jace he's dead now no we don't want we don't want that to happen the next uh, planeswalker shortcut is really frequently used and I don't think people even a lot of people even realize they're using it. Exactly. But basically, if you say something like, I'm going to lightning bolt your Jace Barrelin, well, some people don't fully understand how planeswalkers work, I think. And a planeswalker is not a player. And lightning bolt says three damage to target creature or player. And a planeswalker is so neither of those. So I can't cast Dreadbore to just make my opponent lose the game? I have to read Dreadbore. 
Is that it says, target? It, says, it says destroy target, target feature planeswalker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you cannot. <laughs> a no. player and a planeswalker what? are different things. My players are ruined. So what happens in reality is when you want to do damage to somebody's planeswalker, you uh, actually, you lightning bolt targeting the opposing player. And then on resolution, there is a, um, a replacement effect we can use to redirect that damage to the planeswalker. If you say then that you are bolting a planeswalker or whatever, saying you're doing anything straight to the planeswalker, what we really mean then is that you are... Um, targeting the opponent and when it resolves it's going to be re redirected that is what you're going to do it's it's kind of like a specialized instance of the shortcut we talked about earlier which is making choices on resolution uh an announcing choices that are normally made on resolution in advance yes and just like that rule if your opponent responds then you have the choice you know you are no longer locked into that choice to redirect to the planeswalker right yeah, very, I think it's a, a very important rule that a lot of players just don't even realize it exists because yeah. they're just so used to planeswalkers now, which is which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, it, it just makes it all work so smoothly. Yep. All right. All right. Well, the one that I yeah. that I skipped over in my haste, uh, very useful for very important if you're engaged in a lot of counter spell wars. Um, but the the play the shortcut is that if I if there's a lot of things on the stack and I add something to the stack by casting a spell or activating an ability. Uh, we assume that that spell that I've just cast is targeting the legal target that is closest to the top of the stack. If I don't, that, and that's the shortcut if I don't say anything. If I, if I really want to target something on the bottom of the stack, I can do that. But if I say nothing, I'm targeting what's on top. Yeah. I, I, I can't really think of yeah, where this really comes up besides counter spells, counter spells usually. But, uh, yeah. I mean, reverberate again. But, counter spells and things that make copies of spells, exactly. Yeah. You're usually, you know, it's just so that people can sit there and just slap cards down. And it Pretty just much. means you're doing the top object. Yeah, but it, it's important if, like, say, the first counterspell that I cast is Dissolve, and then you have some different counterspells, and I counter those as well. We can use this shortcut to figure out, well, does the, does my Dissolve resolve? Do I get to Scry or, or not, basically? Right. So. Uh, oh, last one. If you're playing Two-Headed Giant and you attack the opposing team, you're assumed to be attacking, or when you assign the damage, which you can go listen to our Two-Headed Giant episode if you want more information on that, it is assumed if you don't state that you are assigning the damage to the primary head. Yes, milkshake is going to get <laughs> hit with the primary damage. Yes, milkshake. Bitty kitty milkshake. is safe in this situation. Bitty kitty. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the names of your players in the Trader Giant episode. Those are my wow. cats. You cats. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you have, you have some really smart cats. Bitty kitty, uh, milkshake, and Scully Meowder. <laughs> Wow. No, it's Battle Cat. Or Fox Fox, <laughs> Fox, Battle, Fox Meowder. Not something stupid like Scully Meowder. That'd be silly. Are you, are you, are you a crazy cat lady, CJ, secretly? Is, is, that what's, is that what's going on here? Is three cats enough to qualify? I think that's definitely pushing you into into cat lady territory. I feel like four. I feel like you got to. I think four, four is definitely the uh, the up uh, the you are you are firmly entrenched. But I think what really pushes him into crazy cat lady land is the fact that he buys like little outfits for them. <laughs> I do not. Milkshake has a tie, and that's it. <laughs> you can tell by our banter that that is all of the tournament shortcuts. Yes, it is. It is. That was not so bad. Yeah. Most people don't even know about them, but we use them like every game. Exactly. Yes. And I think, you know, that's just kind of the point. Like most of the time, players don't even realize that they exist because they correspond so neatly to their their usual expectations. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. actually, I mean, like the one about passing priority, most players are actually surprised to learn that they can do that, that they can keep priority. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things when you're when you're studying to be a judge, too, I think you read that and you're like, well, that's what? That's not that's how it when I'm works. Yeah, exactly. Like when I'm talking with the L1 candidates or people that are studying for L2 and I'm walking through the steps of casting a spell for them, I usually kind of put a disclaimer at the start and say, I want you to tell me how things work according to the comp rules, you know, not according to the turn rules. Right. Um, even on MTGO, you have to hold control to hold priority. Like, you know, this, this, yeah. that's so ingrained to the rules. I always forget what the command is. <laughs> yeah. It's control. I always remember not, after. <laughs> I, I'll remember CJ's dulcet tones telling me it's control. Dulcet tones. Got to, got to use that education for something. <laughs> oh, that Harvard of <laughs> education. All right. Yeah. So you guys ready to tackle some emails? I'm excited. I was born ready. Oh, this one came in on Christmas. Aw. 
All right, Uh-oh. it's from Andy. We'll just leave it at Andy because he only signed it as Andy. Oh, it says it says uh, you may not use my name. Does it? Or well, when I when I moused over. Uh. Anyway, Andy. Something. Andy has Andy has a question. Andy has a question. Uh, he says a quick question about Gideon, Champion of Justice, for you. The Oracle text on him is quite different than the printed text, and I wanted to clarify if I'm correct about how I think you would work when interacting with spells like Turn Burn. What I'm thinking is that you can cast Turn on Gideon if his zero ability has been activated, and I'll read its ability in a second. Turning him into a 0-1 with no abilities. At this point, he still has to prevent all damage applying to him, but indestructible was a key word he gained when activated. Therefore, one could then destroy him with a card like Doomblade. All right, so his zero ability, the current Oracle text is, until end of turn, wait, this isn't right, Gideon, although they all do the same thing. Uh, until end of turn, Gideon, champion of justice, becomes a human soldier creature with power and toughness, each equal to the number of loyalty counters on him and gains indestructible. He's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. Yep, good old Gideon. Being changed by the update to how indestructible works. So, okay, so what happens... So let's start. Let's start with just turn and burn. What happens if you turn and burn him? So you you make him a zero one with no abilities and he deals two damage. Right. What what happens? Well, well, like uh, uh, I'm answering. Okay, I can answer. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> so like, I mean, uh, the the sender of the email is is correct. Um, indestructible is now an ability that creatures can get that effects can grant to objects. It's not something that's just true about it anymore. So get, when you activate Gideon Zero, say he has five loyalty, he becomes a five-five human soldier. He has the indestructible indestructible ability, uh, and he additionally has this effect that says prevent all damage. And turn makes him lose all his abilities, including the indestructible. But prevent all damage is an effect. It's something that's true about Gideon until the end of the turn. So Burn will then try to deal two damage to him but it will fail to do that and be prevented and Gideon will live to fight for justice another day. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's everything I want to that's, say about that. Uh, the that's next, why they pay me, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah. As they say. Yeah. The next email comes from Dave W. Uh, oh, well, so, there, there, I, there was like one, I mean, just to be super explicit, um, you, you can cast Doomblade on him because, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, Doomblade yeah. isn't doing damage. He's just saying destroy you. So that still works. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, so Dave is actually the one who wrote the email that inspired this whole episode. Uh, he was asking a little bit about how the Planeswalker redirection rule works. Um, it was my intent to talk about that here, but I think we already talked about it now. Oh, uh, no. So that's fine. He also wrote a little poem. Most of it's just an excuse to read his poem. Okay. It says, Hail to thee, O Judge Cast, for thy words are wise and fair, and thy teachings echoes far and wide, inspiring judges everywhere. Hail to thee, O Judge Cast, thou art now lavish with praise. So read my question on the air, lest thy reputation be disgraced. I really tried to rain praise, praise with disgrace yeah. there. <laughs> so, so his real, I guess his question was at first, this is a question that I thought it was dealing with, with tournament shortcuts, like where I say, you know, like Bolt and Jace or something mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. I guess he was asking, he's asking more of a, of a philosophy question, uh, like a rules templating thing is like, well, why, why can't I just target Jace? Like, why didn't they, because... I, I guess, errata or put in a rule that says anything that could target a player could also target a planeswalker. They would have had, had, had to change so many cards. Well, I mean, to to his point, yes, you could have you could have put a rule out there that says, you know, in the comp rules that says whenever a card says target a target player, it means target player or target planeswalker that player controls. However, Wizards likes their cards to do what they say. So yeah, that's probably not not going to work. Well, and then, yeah, sorry. Go on. Oh, no. Well, uh, well I mean, maybe you, you maybe I'm stealing the words out of your mouth, but but there's the the extra condition in the planeswalker redirection rule that not not everyone realizes which is that you can only apply it when when it's non-combat damage that is coming from a source you don't control yes well that's, so, that's yeah. one of it yeah so i can't if 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 things worked the way you said like lightning bolt was understood to say deal three damage to target creature player or planeswalker i could bolt my own jace legally and you know flavorfully that doesn't make a lot of sense and spells like, you know, we'll say Ancestral Recall. Target player draws three cards. Target Jace draws <laughs> Jace, Chase, draw them three cards. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you That's look an even better at, example. Yeah. And you, and you get into weird situations there where your two choices are either you let the spell whiff then, mm-hmm. in which case, well, why'd, why'd you even do that? Or 
you get to target the player, but you get to target the planeswalker, but then the rules like do something that'll that redirects it back to the player, which why don't you just target them to begin with? Yeah. So and- it's much cleaner and we're 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 speculating. You know, obviously R and D's their their reason the, the real reason is always because they want it that way. Because they said so. That's not really speculation. Mark Rosewater had a podcast on planeswalkers and he said exactly what you just said that target player draws x cards is one of the reasons like what does that mean no 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 we're gonna say for some nebulous reason that we don't I'm understand telling you you're right He's and you're tell- arguing exactly like <laughs> no 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 we can't do that Anyway, I'm glad Paul brought up the uh, that it can't be you can't damage your own planeswalkers in this way. You know, something like Earthquake. If you're dealing damage to all creatures and players, you cannot redirect that to your own planeswalker. Yes. Liliana's taking one for the team. There you <laughs> right. go. Earthquake for twenty. Get in there. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, one of the weird rule situations where that comes up, and one of the one of the few times where I've seen the gatherer rulings actually be wrong the first time um, involves Rakdos Charm, which has the third mode which is oh, each yeah. creature each creature deals one damage to its controller and originally the ruling said that this damage you know say that i'm casting Rakdos charm cj controls three bears cubs and jace barrelin uh originally the ruling said that the damage could be redirected to jace barrelin but in actuality that that's wrong the source of the damage isn't Rakdos charm the source of the damage is actually those bears cubs and since CJ controls the Bears Cubs and Jace Barrelin, he can't redirect the damage. Yep. So I just thought, so. you know, it's a really kind of obscure interaction, but, you know, Rakdos Charm is played in Standard, it's played in Modern, so it could come up. No, oh, okay. Yeah. All right, next up. Ooh. <laughs> I've, I've silenced you all with my with my rules nerdery. <laughs> We're all rules uh, nerds. I'm excited about this next one. So this is from Aaron, and he it's it's in relation to our last episode, our bag of coal episode, where we actually covered banding. Um, but we forgot to say something, so let's elaborate a little more. He says, "I didn't hear what would happen in this scenario if a band of attackers faced a band of defenders on the battlefield. Who gets to decide the damage?" Brian, I'll let you have it. First first off, I would quit that EDH game <laughs> is basically how, how exactly that would work. You know what? Like somebody in, in the rules chat the other day posted a question about Charizard in EDH game. And my first response was Charizard is banned in EDH. And then I go look it up and it's oh. not. And I'm Wait, just really? like, I know. So I'm like, OK, well, step two is I would not be playing this game anymore. Like if you right. cast Charizard, I'm done. No, it's, it's, it's totally banned in Commander. I've, I, I looked at it right now. It's not, it's not, it is banned on Commander on MTGO, uh, but it's not on the official Commander ban list. Ah, uh, man. Yeah. <sighs> Ew. Anyway, banding. okay. So, so, right. so, banding. The 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 thing with banding is, if I've got a a band of attackers, um, I get to uh, uh, I get to determine how, or or I get to control how your guys are gonna assign uh, damage to my guys. Okay, and if I've got a a block a, a blocking band. I get to decide how uh, damage is going to be dealt, how you're going to deal damage to my guys. So, so hey, Brian, let me pause you there. So is it really a blocking band or is it just a, a multi-block? And since one of them has banding, you get to do this rule. That, that Yeah, I mean, it is. It's sorry. So, yes, no, it's, I'm, it's I'm a multi- curious. I don't know why I... it's it's I mean, you're declaring them as a band and then multi-blocking, mm-hmm. basically. All right. So basically, yeah, it works just that just that way. So so um, I get to I get to decide um, whoever the banding side gets to decide how the creatures are going to deal damage to the banding side. OK, and it makes really no difference in that case whether you're the attacker or the defender. OK, you get to decide how their creatures are going to deal damage to your guys mm-hmm. okay all right so yeah so and when they both have banning then both sides are deciding yes okay so i'm deciding for you you're deciding for me instead of the way it normally works if like only one side has banning then i get to decide what i normally get to decide right. and i get to decide what you normally decide right the, the, the rules don't contradict, contradict each other so they both apply which ends up in the inversion from the usual scenario I like an email. At least that, that, yeah. That's how I think of it, anyway. <laughs> I like an email. You say, uh, I assign your damage and you assign mine. And we all have a good chuckle that we both brought knives to a gunfight. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's funny to me. That's, that's pretty good. All right. All right. More questions? Or is, yeah. that, is that the end? No, there's more, more questions. questions. All right. So our next one's from Andy. 
Oh, it's the same guy from earlier. He's asking about Ashiok and Chained to the Rocks. Okay, so okay. this has actual names, but I'm going to drop those. So player A has Ashiok Nightmare Weaver in play. Um, mm-hmm. As a brief summary, he lets you exile cards for it. Let's um, Thawne lets you exile cards from the top of the opponent's library, and then you can use Thawne's negative X ability to cast those cards, blah, blah. All right, so this is about the two players. Uh, in game one, player one showed they had abrupt decay in the deck. Okay, to summarize the whole thing, say you cast Chain to the Rocks on an Ash Zealot. Um, you gain control oh, of your opponent's Ash Zealot in some way. Then the opponent chains the rocks, you know, the, the Ash Zealot, they go. Then the Chain to the Rocks is destroyed. Who gets the Ash Zealot? That's really what the question is. Right. So the specific, yeah, exactly. Ashiok, in, in the original scenario in the email, uh, the Ash Zealot came into play because of the opponent's Ashiok, Ashiok yeah. but it really works, you know, for any any effect like this, like mind control or whatever. Yeah. So Chain to the Rocks, uh, when Chain to the Rocks enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Chain to the Rocks leaves the battlefield. Yep. So, so you is... have that trigger. You have that trigger, and really, the answer determined is depends on whether or not the trigger, the change of the rock trigger, resolves or not. That is true. Okay. So, if change of the rock, the trigger doesn't resolve. If it's on the stack when you destroy change of the rocks, okay, then what you have is uh, it's not. Uh, an oblivion ring it's not a banisher pre or, or, or sorry it is a banisher pre it's not a, a fiend, it's not a fiend hunter okay where there's where there's two there's a comes into play and enters the battlefield trigger and leaves the battlefield trigger this is a single trigger that has a duration and there's yeah. a rule that basically says if the duration ends before it would start it doesn't do anything right so if if change of the rocks leaves the battlefield before the trigger resolves, the uh, our our dude, uh, what was the card? Ash Zealot. The Ash Zealot's gonna stay where it is. It doesn't like flicker or bounce or anything like that. It just stays put on the side that it it was on when uh, change of the rocks was cast. Yep. If change of the rocks, if the trigger resolves and the Ash Zealot got exiled, okay, when change of the rocks gets destroyed, its duration ends, and the Ash Zealot is going to turn the battlefield under its owner's control. And the owner is the person whose deck the card the Ash Zealot started in. Yep. Okay. Not the person that was controlling it uh, with uh, the Nightmare. Yeah. And and the reason for this is when Ash Zealot takes a trip to the Exile Zone because of Chain to the Rocks, it becomes a new object in the Exile Zone. And, you know, technically objects in the Exile Zone don't have controllers. They just have owners. The owner is the person it started the game with. Say Chain to the Rocks gets gets destroyed, that Ash Zealot is going to come back to the battlefield. Well, it lost all connection to its previous existence, so it no longer has the control-changing effect that was granted by Ashiok or whatever other effect made it enter the battlefield under somebody else's control. So because that's not there anymore, it's just under the default control, which is the owners. Cool. Final question. You guys ready? Also about Chain to the Rocks. This is from Brian Thomas. Uh, he says, at a competitive REL event, you are stopped by a spectator that observes something over by Amy and Nicole. You pause the match and see a Stormbreath dragon enchanted with a chain to the rocks. Quite an issue. We check to see when exactly this happened and find out it was five plus turns ago with multiple interactions taking place. So the first thought of rewinding is right out the window. So Stormbreath dragon has protection from white. That's that's the, uh, the trick here. Yeah. Uh, he says... He says, given the state, issue Amy a GPEGRV and Nicole a GPEFTMGS. Uh, my question is, how do you properly fix it? So before we get into this, I want to mention that Chain to the Rocks does not enchant the creature it exiles. It enchants right. a mountain. Right. Um, it then yes. has a trigger which exiles the dragon. It was still an illegal action to do that, but yeah. it changes the result. Yes. All right, guys. Okay. Yeah. So so here is the... the uh, the thing so your your storm your storm breath dragon or whatever stormy is 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 is, so he's he's chained to the rocks so we've established that we're going to do a game rule uh it's a game rule violation and so it's been too long we can't rewind that's not an option okay so then what our choices are are either apply state-based actions all state-based actions and uh leave everything alone 
or apply state-based actions, and we do one of the allowed partial fixes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's see if, since we've already ruled out that we can't rewind, let's see if any of the partial fixes apply. Um, now, there is a, a partial fix uh, that says, you know, if a player made an illegal choice or failed, and, th and this is one of the things that he's asking about in the email, uh, Brian is asking about in the email, is there's a, uh, a partial fix that says if a player made an illegal choice or failed to make a required choice for a permanent on the battlefield, that player makes a legal choice. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems like in this case, when Change of the Rocks came into play, he targeted the Stormbreath Dragon, which was an illegal choice. So does this shortcut apply? Or, sorry, <laughs> does this shortcut? Do this, <laughs> does this exception apply? Okay. And the answer is... No. 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 Okay. When it says... Solid no. Yes. When when it says choices, so so targets and choices are actually uh, different. And um, what this is pertaining to specifically is things like Pithing Needle. Uh, true Name Nemesis. True Name Nemesis is, is another example. Uh, well, that's not a permanent on the that's, battlefield. That's, You're not a permanent on the battlefield. <laughs> and if I could be a permanent on the battlefield, I'd be awesome. You are a permanent on the battlefield. You're Bears Cub. Aww. Aww. So, uh... So yeah, so those are, those are things because those are cards that don't really function without their choices being made, right? Um, voice of all. What's that? Right. I just wanted to get one in there that was legitimate. Voice of all. Voice of all. There you go. Yay! I'm participating. Yay. So, so yeah, so <laughs> so you can't you and where it's talking about like you didn't make a choice or you made an incorrect choice. Like with voice of all, if you named the color purple, okay, that's not a legal choice. Um, or if you made no choice, okay. Mm -hmm. So so in this particular case, um, we look at state based actions. So so we're not can't apply a partial fix. So let's look at state based actions. Um, are there any state based actions to apply? As you mentioned, we do not have a red permanent in, uh, with protection from white enchanted by a white spell or a white permanent. It's Change of the Rocks is enchanting a mountain. That's legal. Yep. It, it exiled Stormy, but there's nothing currently targeting Stormy, mm -hmm. Stormageddon. Yeah. You know, um. So he's gonna. You know. You apply all state-based actions, and everything's the exact same. Uh. There's no partial fixes, so we don't fix anything, and we leave it as is. Yes. Tell both players to play more carefully. Yup. So there's actually one thing about the scenario that I think might be interesting in talking about briefly. Uh. So let's let's say that Amy is the one that has the chain to the rocks, and Nicole is the one who controls Stormageddon. Uh. <laughs> the original email said that. The reader thought that Amy should get a GRV and Nicole should get failure to maintain game state. You know, this is one of those debates that kind of crops up a lot and doesn't doesn't really have a huge impact on the game, but it's still useful to think about. And there's an exception to failure to maintain game state, which is that if you controlled the effect that caused the error, but the somebody else took the illegal action, uh, then both of you get GRV. And I just sort of wanted to, I was curious if you guys would assess a double GRV in this situation, or if you would go with the GRV failure to maintain like the original reader pointed out. I thought about it, but in the end, the, the true illegal action was having the trigger target storm breath dragon uh, mm -hmm. everything after that point was legal if if that illegal thing hadn't happened whereas the the rule you're talking about is say i have um i path to exile your guy and you put him in the graveyard well that's my spell but you did something wrong so we should both be penalized like it should be up to me to know how that card works because i cast it and uh you know and you did the illegal action so right that's double right. drv but in this case in this yeah, case, I, I don't yes. feel like, yeah, I don't feel like um, whoever controls Stormageddon actually did the illegal action. Right, I agree. Yep. Like, you know, even though, you know, I control Stormageddon and Stormageddon cause it has pro-white, like, that's not really the source of the error. The source of the error was the Chain to the Rocks player choosing the wrong target. Yep. Yeah, that was a good cool. discussion. I like that. Yeah, I tried. So, so <laughs> he also asked uh, another question no. that, hold on, I was just saying we're going to do that in an email. <laughs> Send an email on that, because it's kind of a long one. Yeah, which is why yeah. I didn't bring it up at all. Okay, well then I'm just giving you something to edit out then. Do you, do you want to use the show to tell specific people how you're going to respond to their emails? <laughs> well, I figured Brian would like it. I mean, we have the same name, right? Kindred Spirits and all that. However, I will unarchive the email. That's probably relevant. Yes, please. Please. All right. If you want to contact us, 
you can do so by emailing us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Uh, everything we talked about today is in the MTR, which you can find on our handy dandy little shortcut. Hey, link at judgecast.com slash docs. We'll take you straight to the document center. That's pretty nice. I use it all the time, personally. Uh, bears, thank you very My much. What? Yeah. Thank you. No, sorry. Very much for being on. Yeah. Thank you for the short uh, coming on on such short notice. Mm-hmm. You're, you're welcome. It was absolutely my pleasure. Uh, we we appreciate having you. Uh, do you have any any kind of contact info? Anything you want to plug at all? Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at tutu bears. Uh, if you want to talk about judging or rules or anything about of that nature, that'd be fantastic. I'd also like to plug the uh, MTG Judge subreddit. Uh, that's reddit.com slash r slash mtg judge. Uh, I am one of the moderators, and it's a really great uh, community to post links, uh, have discussion, uh, talk about all things judge related. So it's a wait. This is the first time I've heard of this. How long has this existed? Uh, I think we're coming close to being at least a year old. Uh, I'm not entirely... I don't remember when I became a moderator and began my glorious reign, uh, but the the, re- the subreddit exi- itself has existed for about a year. It's fancy. Oh, there you are. Two two bears. Look at you. That's me. That's oh, wait. me. Your Twitter, is it is it spelled out in the number two or... Uh, no, it's, uh, well, yes, it's spelled out, T-W-L. Okay. Is it, is it a bad, is it a sign that I'm old that I just, I can't figure out Reddit? It, it, no. Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's just a weird place. Okay. It's a, it's a special place. <laughs> well, thanks again, Paul. But, Absolutely. Uh, Very welcome. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening. Uh, this is the first episode of the new year. But we, we have a very exciting 2014 coming up. Will we hit 100 episodes this year? Three, uh, no, are. we won't. I think it'll be the start of next year. No, we'll hit 100. You think so? We're on, 80, we're on 83, which means we have like 17 more to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was doing it. I was I was like, there's 27 to go. <laughs> I, can, I can math. Yeah. Math is hard. Uh, well, okay. hey, now we're not all what? Harvard grads. Yeah, we're not all. <laughs> I went to Southern Polytechnic State University. <laughs> DeVry. Harvard University, DeVry University. Oh. Well, my name's CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. <sighs> my name's Ryan Franklin. I keep it fun. Ooh, so fun. Also, Bears was here. Yes, Bears. Thank you. My name is My name is Paul Baronet, and I don't have a cute sign off. Oh shit. I didn't know we planned our chitter chatter now. Well, we, we actually. <laughs> well, if you don't, if you don't give me a specific area for it, then I just sprinkle it throughout the show liberally. <laughs> so I think so after, best... after three shortcuts, we should have like two minutes of chitter chatter, then a shortcut, then another minute of chitter chatter. Yeah. Now, if it's only in the two minute window, if we will run out of stuff after uh, a minute and a half, um, we need drinking songs. <laughs>